please stand for the reading of God's word? Today's verse is Isaiah 58, 8 through 10, and you can find it on page 527 on the Red Bibles. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Please add a blessing to the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Okay, good. Look at there. I could do that or I could up my voice like I was at school. Uh, one of the two. Uh, my father always felt that people that needed a microphone were wimps. So, there you are. But anyhow, I uh, do appreciate the preaching we're hearing, and I think it's important, and I think it's important enough that you need to have a really good reason for not being here. Okay, a really good reason for not being here. Um, I always have commercials. Some of you know I always have commercials. Commercial number one, I have really appreciated working with the people who have volunteered to help keep our landscaping up. So one, we save money, and two, we take pride in our property, and three, they do a really good job. And I appreciate that. Next Sunday, following the morning service, that group is going to meet, and we would invite you to join us because with spring coming on, there's even more to do. So they've done a great job. I really appreciate it, but we do want to invite you to join us in the fire, in, actually in my office, so you'll know where my office is. It's on the ground floor because I don't want to climb up steps. Uh, if you'll join me in my office shortly after the morning service next week, uh, we'll find something for you to do too. And uh, we really appreciate that. I, what I really appreciate is that we started it, and I have not had to remind anybody of what needed to be done. They have just carried it through, and I greatly appreciate that. So we invite you to join us in the joy of pulling weeds or mowing or trimming or whatever it is that you particularly 
we would like to do. Second commercial, the 3rd of March, we will be having the men's breakfast. Uh, guys, you don't want to miss that. It's a good time of fellowship. We're trying out a new restaurant. Uh, it's open behind Coco's. Coco's is a wonderful place with wonderful food and very slow service. And so we are hoping that we can get a little bit faster service as we go to Jester's uh, in, in that same area. So those are the things that I wanted to use as commercials. I'm just going to throw in a third one really quickly. Look forward to Sunday school. Big changes are happening in Sunday school, and you're not going to want to miss it. So be looking forward for Sunday school. Some of you are in the membership class. You have sort of a foretaste of what's going to be happening, but expect to hear a lot more over the next few weeks. The light of the world. I am the light of the world. Last week, Pastor Dave started this series with, of I am statements. And in John 8, 58, it says, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. One of the things that we learned last week is that we know him by his actions. But the second thing I would like you to look at is I am, I am self-existent. I personally exist because my mom and dad loved each other, and here I am. But God exists in himself. He doesn't need a mother or father. He doesn't need our help in existing. He is. And regardless of what the world wants to say, he is. God exists. I am. I exist within myself. And I don't need anybody's permission. And I don't need their approval. I exist. Wow, what a claim. And Jesus is saying this. Is saying this I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. Sometimes people will ask me how I am. And I will say, I am. But not before Abraham. When this happened, when we think about Jesus pre-existing, existing now before Abraham was, it became a real problem for the Jews, and they began to pick up rocks. Why? Because they knew that Jesus was saying, I am God. And they knew it, and they counted it as blasphemy, and certainly it undermined uh, their particular authority. It reminded me of the time in the Old Testament when God gave his name to Moses at the burning bush. And in part, because of the way Moses and Jesus are connected is the reason why I remember it. Jesus and Moses are intimately connected. And so Moses stood before that burning bush. And in Exodus 3, 14 through 15, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. God also says to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. 
This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. What name? I am. I am. Throughout the book of John, Jesus makes claims about himself. As I count them, there are seven I am statements where Jesus says, I am. Last week, we saw the first of these, that during the Feast of the Tabernacles, the children of Israel celebrated the provision for them in the wilderness. He had provided manna from heaven for them. And Jesus reminded him them that he was the bread of life. That manna that came down for the Israelites was a type. I like to use theological words. We call it type. Or, in other words, it was a foreshadowing. It was the looking ahead at who Jesus is. And so he's looking ahead at the bread of life and it is manna that's given, and it sustains the people. And they must accept that gift by faith. They aren't to gather it ahead of time. It's funny, they, six days of the week, they only gather enough for the next week. But on the day before the seventh day, they gather enough for two days. Normally during the week, it spoils if they keep it. On this particular period of time, it lasts for two days. The difference, God told them. God told them. And so Jesus reminds them that he is the bread of life. God has provided for them uh, out in that wilderness a pillar of of a cloud during the daytime and a pillar of fire at night that leads the children of Israel. By the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar, uh, in a cloud pillar to guide them on their way. But at night, when they needed light, he gave them the pillar of light to follow so they could travel day and night. During this particular feast of tabernacles, they they would put in the court of the women in the temple four great candelabras that stuck way up in the air. And they were filled with oil, And they used the old cast-off clothes from the priests for the wick. And so they would put this in the wick, and for the eight days of the festival, they would keep those lighted. And it was said that the light was so bright that every courtyard in Jerusalem had light from those candelabras. But they kept them lighted, to show that God had shown them the way in the, in the wilderness through this pillar of fire. Jesus taught about who he really was. He said, remember what these candles represent. They remind us of that which was back in the wilderness. God led the people with a pillar of fire, a pillar of light, And Jesus said, I am the light. He was the light not only in the wilderness. He was the light not only for Israel. He is the light not only for the church. He is the light of the world. The whole world. People that look sort of like you and people that don't look anything like you. 
people that speak English and people that speak the multitude of other languages. As I always tell people, I can speak any language but Greek. Whatever other language you speak, it's Greek to me. <laughs> but he is the light of the whole world. The whole world. The whole world. And part of our task, which is sort of jumping ahead, is that we need to be people that carry that light to the ends of the earth. And the interesting thing is our society has developed in such a way that we have to carry it to the ends of the earth right here, right next door, right down the block. In Isaiah, the ninth chapter, in the second verse, uh, it told about the day when Jesus would come. And it said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. A light has dawned. Jesus shows up on the scene during the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's not by accident that he shows up then. And in John, the 8th chapter, the 12th verse, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If we are in him, we have available to us the light that's necessary to move forward, to take the next step. In Psalm, the fourth chapter, in the sixth verse, it says, Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. And Christ said, I am the light of the world. What light are they talking about? We're talking about the light that Jesus is. And this is my prayer, for God to shine his light on us today. For him to shine it on each one of you and on me, and to shine it in intensity. Not a little candle, but a great searchlight that shines on us. That shines on us. While studying this work this week, I came across an acrostic that was suggested to me by the writings of Mike Perry. And the acrostic is here. And the acrostic is shine. Shine. And so I want to take that word and use it for this, purposes, this purpose. The first thing that shine represents is saving. The light of Jesus shines on us to save us. That's the purpose. He shines his light on our spiritual condition. And by the way, not everyone likes that light. You would think that salvation would be such that everybody would seek it out. But Satan has done his job. And all of us don't seek it out. Some of us don't want to see it, don't want to be a part of it. Just think about how often people do things in darkness that they would never do during the daytime. It's the right reason why if you're a policeman, it's that period from about 10 o'clock at night till about 2 or 3 in the morning that is so dangerous. Because people who would never at 4 o'clock in the afternoon do certain things, but they will do them at night. Darkness allows evil. Where the light of Christ does not shine, 
evil comes in. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verses 13 through 14, says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. The light drives out darkness. The darkness of sin is driven out by the light. Have you ever turned on a light? Well, let me tell you, I've stayed in some motels that were really interesting motels. Have you ever stayed in a motel that when you walked into the bathroom and turned on the light, things went scurrying? Doesn't that make you feel really good? I did that once in Oregon. We were, we were traveling and we had to stop and it was, you know, we, we needed a cheap place to stay and we overdid it. <laughs> so when you went in and you turned on the light, these little things would scurry out of the light into the darkness. Cockroaches run for cover. They don't like the light. But here is something I want to say to you. When Jesus, the light of the world, turns on his saving light, our sin is exposed. Our sin is exposed. And we can either scatter or turn to him. We can either scatter and avoid the light or turn to him and agree with our condition agree with him about our condition that saving confession agreeing with god about our condition we must repent we must share with god the things that oppress us in sin but we can only do that when the light of christ shines on us we can only do that when we agree with him about our condition. We can rise from death, of our, the death of our sin, sinful condition and rise from the dead as Christ shines on us or we can scatter. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Light reveals the dark nature of sin. The dark nature of sin. But it also reveals the desperate need for Christ. Can you say today that Jesus is your light and your salvation? Jesus shines his face on us by saving us. The light shines into every corner. There can be no little hidden spaces. Lord, bring your light in, except don't shine it too well under that particular table. There's a little piece of that darkness I want to keep. But that's not the way it works. When the light of Christ comes in, he reveals who we are. But he doesn't leave us there. That's, that's what's so wondrous. He shines our light, and if there's things in our life that are wrong... He sees them 
but he doesn't then just walk out the door. But rather, he will help us. He will save us. He'll get the broom out and clean the place up because of his blood. Jesus is the light of the world. Well, the second acrostic says healing, healing. It's interesting to read the context of what Jesus says in the I am statements. You remember last week we talked about the fact that he fed the 5,000. And then in John 8 makes the claim to be the bread of life. If we would just eat of him, we would never be hungry. Too many of us are on a starvation diet because we're not eating of him. We're not allowing him to fill us and to make us complete. And so we live sort of out on the edge when there's a banquet table to be had. We get the scraps when there's a chair there for us. When there's a chair for us. Healing. If we would just eat of him, we would never be hungry again. Now he makes the claim that he is the light of the world. How does he demonstrate this? Well, in chapter 9, he heals the man born blind. And in John 9, 5 through 7, it says, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world, Jesus speaking. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home. Then the blind, and so it was that he was healed. It was healed. But he was healed on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees thought that was a terrible thing. You don't do any work on the Sabbath, apparently, including healing. So even if you have a good thing to do, don't do it on the Sabbath. This is one of the problems that Christ dealt with several different times, where the Pharisees were holding to the line, and Jesus was doing the things that were necessary, and they were condemning him because he was doing it on the Sabbath. And so they said, this guy can't be of God. This healing has to be of the devil, because after all, he did it on the Sabbath. And so they go to the man who, is, who has been healed, and they say to him, tell us again what the deal is. And in John 25, he replies, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind. Now I see. And so we are. As Christians, we need to let the light of Christ in. We need to be beacons of that light as well, to let it out. So that if we are blind, he can touch us and we can see. The light of Jesus shines on us to heal. We need to realize that Jesus' light came to shine, to give us hope. Many of us go through dark, dark nights of the soul. We struggle with self-worth. We struggle with fear. We struggle with anxiety. We struggle with depression. 
It can be so deep. And there just doesn't seem like there's a way out. Some in this room just need to, to have Jesus shine his light into the darkness of their soul. When we are in a deep hole, it's often hard for us to see the light. We need by faith to continue to pray that Christ will lift us out of that hole so that we can see the light. I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy. Sometimes when Christ lifts us out of the hole, it doesn't remove all the rest of that. But what we know, when the light is with us, he walks with us through all of that. We may suffer. We may have deep and abiding problems that sometimes not our fault. But we can depend upon the fact because he is the healer, he is with us all the way. With us all the way. When you're in that kind of condition, sometimes you just can't feel God. You just aren't, what happened to him? I am in this hole. I feel unworthy. I feel like I can't do anything right. I am frightened of myself. And I can't feel God. But what we can know is the light is there. He hasn't abandoned us. This thing that he and you are dealing with is powerful, but it's not as powerful as his, as his light. And so we continue to walk with him even when we can't quite feel it. But we continue to walk. He is the Christ of healing. You know, it's a saying, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Let me change that saying for us a little bit. I see Christ at the end of the tunnel. By the way, I also see him in the middle of the tunnel and the beginning of the tunnel. So that we're, when we're in those holes, Christ is with us. Jesus shines his light on us to find healing. But he also igni is igniting us as well. His light is powerful and focused. And you know, if you were a kid, particularly if you were a boy, but a lot of girls do it too, at some point you took a magnifying glass out into the sun and started setting things on fire. You guys, true guys? Yeah, you know that. You know that. When you focus the light, a fire is started. And so it is with the light of Christ. When we focus his light, a fire is, is started. I believe that Jesus wants to shine his light on someone here today to ignite their soul, to set them on fire for him. You've known the Lord, but things are stale and lifeless, and he wants your life to become ignited, to burn for him in this world. What he wants for you, he wants for us all. To be people that are burning for Christ, who have been ignited by his light. And so in the book of Isaiah, it puts us this way, we read it, Isaiah 58, 8 through 10. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, 
and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call on the Lord and the Lord will answer you. He will cry, you cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger, the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your light will become like noonday. We are called to be ignited for Christ. We're not called to be bored Christians. We're not called to feel hopeless. The formula for personal and corporate revival is found in that Isaiah 58. Jesus' light comes to save and to heal and to ignite our hearts, our world, our neighborhood, our church need people who are ignited by the fire of Christ because he is the light. He is the light. I'm reminded of going and seeing lighthouses. We don't use them much anymore. But you go to the great old lighthouses and they had a powerful light and then they had a a carefully crafted mirror behind that light to reflect that light out in a strong beam into the ocean. Friends, Jesus is the light. You're the mirror. You need to be focused. You need to be ignited. You need to be clear for Christ. And then we see nudging. Nudging. It's amazing how light nudges us and guides us when we're moving through a dark place. Have you ever been in darkness and then were able to turn on a flashlight or light a candle? It doesn't take very much light to give light in a dark place. Darkness is a scary place, though. It's full of bumps and bruises and uncertainty. Our own thinking can be clouded by feelings and obstacles and circumstances. Often we see frightening things in the night that are just shadows. I remember it clearly in, in, as I was a kid. We lived in Sunland in the Little Tonga Wash. We had no electricity, so we had kerosene lanterns, and so at night all the light would be gone. There are no street lights. All the light would be gone. And the moon and the stars and so on would shine, and I would be in my room as a kid, and there were monsters everywhere. The shadows moved, and there were times that I just almost couldn't sleep because I knew those monsters were there. I knew they were monsters were there, but they were just shadows. And so it is in a Christian's life. Often when we need to make a decision about the direction to go that doesn't seem clear, we get frightened. Henry Barkby, who wrote Experiencing God, calls this crisis a crisis of disbelief. Decisions lead to crisis of belief. What we need in this room is the light of Jesus' face to shine and nudge us by his spirit, to move us in the way he would have us to go. 
we stand on the precipice of a great ministry far beyond anything we've ever had before. But we've got to be people of the light so that we don't need to fear the darkness. People of the light. Psalm 119.105 Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When, when this is written, the soldiers of the army that wanted to move at night literally put a lamp on their toe. They wore sandals. And there was a ring that would fit over the toe and there would be a small lamp in that, that would be there on the feet. And you would be able to see the next step. But that's all. You wouldn't be able to see ahead. You wouldn't be able to look ahead and see what was coming. You took one step at a time. And so it is often in the Christian's life. We want to see the end from the beginning, but what we can see is right now. And right now has to be sufficient. Today, are you willing to let Christ shine his light on a decision that you need to make? Are you willing to let his light shine? Jesus' light shines on us by saving, by healing, by igniting, by nudging, and by educating. My friends, too much of the church is ignorant. Too much of the church does not study God's word does not contemplate it at all. The light of Jesus wants to edify and build you up in his word by his spirit. Last week we shared about Jesus' claim to be the bread of life, and I prayed this week that God would stir up a hunger with us and prayed that the Holy Spirit would help us to feed on Christ and his word. Jesus is who he claims to be, and he is the light of the world. And my prayer is that he would open up our eyes to the truth of his word. In Psalm 19.8, it says, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. You see, with the light of God's word, it brings joy to our hearts if we allow it to. Psalm 119.30 says, The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't talk about giving understanding to the PhD or giving understanding to the person that studies scripture their entire life. It talks about the simple. His word gives light and understanding even to the simple. If you don't think you're much of a biblical scholar, that's fine. That's not required. There's no reason to be intimidated by God's word because somebody else might know more. All you have to do is ask the Lord to open your eyes and your heart to understanding his word. Then open his word and he will educate you on how 
to live the life he designed for you. And we need to study individually and corporately. I need to study for myself. But while studying for myself, I need to also study with you. I don't know about you, but Earl Gotts can get some really strange ideas. And if I'm left alone, I can get some really strange ideas. But as I minister with you, as you minister with me, perspective comes. And we can see his light. Here's the question. Can you pray this simple prayer this morning? Jesus, shine the light of your face on me. Shine it on my sin, my depression, my lack of passion, my aimlessness, and on my ignorance. And Jesus, shine the light of your face on my church. Is that what you're looking for? Looking for his light in your life, whatever the problem is that's going on? 1 John 1.9 says, But if we walk in the light, he is in the light. We have, and we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, the Son, purifies us from all sin. It is through his word and the work of his Holy Spirit that the light is shined most clearly. And then we go to Revelation 21, 24, 23 through 24. And it's speaking of the new Jerusalem. And we're not going to get into the theological issues of what that is. But here's what we know about it. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamp, and the lamb is its lamp. The nations walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. Jesus is the light of the world. He wants to light your life. Will you allow Christ to light your life this week? What do you expect the result to be if he lights your life? What do you think it's going to look like if he lights your life? Are you willing to reflect Christ's light to others that have been hidden from the light? Jesus is the light of the world. Take that light out with you. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are that you have chosen to let us be part of your kingdom, that you have shared your great light with us. And because of that, we can move in life with confidence. Guide us all now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. fitting this morning as we end our service. I think it's only fitting to end with this. Psalm 67 says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us.
that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Would you stand with me? Father, this week, send us out. God, in in all of that, one that your light may shine in our lives so that it may illuminate something that needs to change. And God, too, God, send us as mirrors. Don't let us just leave this place, but God, make us mirrors to, to reflect your image, to reflect your light to this world, to a nation that desperately needs you. Father, send us now. Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. You may be dismissed.